And so I lived in Watson in 2000. I grew up in what I call the crack hangover, you know, when a lot of the people that were arrested and taken away, I grew up with the children of those people. You know, we grew up all together. So we joked about, you know, whenever we would play the dozens and we'd, you know, insult each other, we'd call each other smokers. Oh, you're a smoker. But we didn't really know what that was. That's Eric Pepper Rivera, and it's childhood memories like these that inspired his debut graphic novel, The Hat Boys. The book tells a story of a kid named Benny who's hoping to move out of Watts to live with his dad in a more affluent neighborhood. But before he can, he's forced by his mother's boyfriend to pay off her debts by dealing drugs. The only problem? Benny has no clue how to sell drugs. So he asks his best friend, Indy, to help. And things start going very wrong. Welcome to the inaugural episode of the CalArts 24-700 podcast. I'm your host, Christine Ziemba. Pepper Rivera is a 2012 graduate of the CalArts Herb Albert School of Music. You're actually listening to one of his compositions right now. I caught up with him recently while he was on a national tour, not of music clubs, but of bookstores promoting the Hat Boys. I asked him about the inspiration for the book. It's not an autobiographical novel, is it? No, it, it, it's what I call texturally autobiographical. There's a, there, The book borrows a lot from my life and set of premises and kind of bits and pieces of stories that I've heard here and there, some utterly fictional. For instance, the bit where you have the mom who's a drug addict and you have the boyfriend, that's a setup that you see a lot mm-hmm. in, in South Central. And then, you know, there's a lot of prostitution that goes on in Watts. We knew prostitutes by name. You know, they would, I, I went to 111th Street School, Foreigner Elementary, and during the day you see a bunch of kids going to school, but at night on those streets right on Compton Avenue, um, you would drive through and you would see people on the corners. Sometimes those people would come, and I grew up in the Nickerson Gardens housing project. And that's so, mentioned in the book, right? Right, right. Yeah. That's, where, that's where one of the characters lives, and is actually in my old unit, 846 on 114th Street. So that's what I mean about it being yeah. textually autobiographical. The characters walk the same paths that I walked. They go to the same places, talk the way that we talked. That's just how things are. You're a kid. You're just consumed by this mm-hmm. thing. By your surroundings, it's all you think there is. Then I realized that most people don't live like that. <laughs> you know, I, after I started, I got out of Watts and I came to Cal Arts. You know, I had a huge, rude awakening, almost like oh. So you went from Cal and you went from Watts to living in Santa Clarita. Pretty much, yeah. You studied music. Were you in the CAP program yeah. at Cal Arts, mm-hmm. the Community Arts Partnership? Yeah. So, what was your instrument? Okay, so I did cap. I did cap animation at Watts. Oh, you did cap animation. Yeah. Okay. And that's I've always done both. And when I was in middle school, I did animation. And I wanted to be an animator. That's really the only cool job I thought existed. You know, because I love drawing cartoons. I've always have. And then uh, I started getting into graffiti in my middle school years. And Watts is full of just these binaries, right? You have like poverty and like a lot of violence and gangs, and but at the same time to kind of mitigate that you have this empowerment movement that goes on there and it has been going on for a long time people are very aware of their histories and they pass on this sense of like political activism onto you and you know there's a lot of uh you know you come from greatness kind of thing don't Mm -hmm. be swallowed up by this stuff and so one of those mentors um was like okay you have this ability you should channel that and there's classes at the watts towers 
um, there, you know, you should go partake. And so I did. And I was like, Oh, this is a, that's a, that was like the secret that I kept from my, my hood friends. I was like refining my skills, going to these classes, but also doing dumb stuff in the streets at the same. So were you like tagging at night and going to art classes during the day? It was more like tagging before, during and after school. <laughs> And then on my way to school on Wednesdays and Saturdays, I would do CAP. And the cool thing was that my mentors, some of them came from similar backgrounds that I did. One in particular, Javier Barboza, he was like, yeah, I did the same thing that you did, but grew up in East LA and did tagging. And now I'm this animator mm -hmm. and I go to CalArts. And I was like, oh, so I could do that too. And so when it came time for me to, to go to a school, I just followed him in his path. And by that point, I had stopped doing the tagging because tagging in, in South Central, it's more like what they call tag banging, which are basically, it's basically like gangs, but light, a lighter version of it. Oh. The gangs are gangs, but tagging, it's it has a focus on graffiti, but they operate like gangs. But they get the caveat of saying that they are not gangs, so they don't have issues with actual real gangs. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. gangs... Gangs have problems with gangs together. Right. But then there's that other level. It's like middle school and high school, yeah. you know, kind of. Some of these tag-banging crews that had a focus on graffiti were starting to graduate into actual gangs. A lot of the youth that you were, that were partaking in the in the crews started getting interested. They had older brothers in gangs, and so they were, they were graduating to more adult stuff. And I saw that, and I just I had some situations, run-ins with people who had done that leap, mm -hmm. and uh, who had I have problems with earlier when I was younger, and I was just I didn't want to deal with it anymore. And I said, you know what, it's not worth it. Like I wanted to get into this because I love art. You know, okay. I, I didn't get into it as an excuse to be a gang member. I got out of it, and I but kind of took inspiration from guys like Tupac who were had that savvy and that life experience, but were kind of storytellers. Oftentimes those gang members aren't going to tell their own stories. And so I wanted to use my background and my life experience to be that storyteller. Because we were told really young, you know, if you don't tell your story, someone will tell it for you. And we've had experiences of that in the past. And it's always exploitative and things like that. So I wanted to do stuff that was a little more reflective. So that's where this book came exactly. about. Believe it or not, the, the Hat Boys initially was supposed to be a story about crime fighters. The Hat Boys, the term kind of comes from the term Hot Boys, which is someone who just peddles drugs. And, mm -hmm. and so the Hat Boys is a kind of a mispronounced way of saying that. But initially, they were going to fight crime in right. the neighborhood, right? I was just getting into comics and here at CalArts, and right. I wanted to do something like that. I was like, well, what if I do some crime fighters who, like, clean out the projects? It's a very kind of naive right. idea. Like a superhero. <laughs> kind yeah. of, like vigilantes, you know. Yeah. Um, more, but, you know, grounded in reality. And I had all these, like, story beats where they were going to just, like, you know, they were going to warn all the families and tell them to get out of the projects yeah. and round up all the drug dealers. <laughs> and it was pretty juvenile. And the, the, the pursuit, I guess, mm -hmm. in my mind, I was just kind of working things through. And then I completely changed the idea after the Trayvon Martin thing happened. Close to that time, a buddy of mine, we go way back, he, uh, he's, he's black, and he got arrested for public drunkenness. We, we played in the backyard punk scene at that time, and so there's a lot of underage drinking, as, mm -hmm. um, as there always has been. And, you know, I didn't go to this particular show, and it turns out that he was wasted, and the cops, you know, they come and raid the parties, mm -hmm. right? They right. come in with the flashlights, tell everybody to leave. I guess he started talking back to them, and they sent him to the <laughs> detention center for a day, you know, so he could sober up. And, right. But I told them, I'm like, you know, that was the best possible outcome out of that situation. This could have gone terribly. 
and it kind of th- these two things intersected Trayvon Martin and what happened to him someone so close to me mm-hmm. that I thought oh I have to change this story you know I, d- I think because I got th- the reception of how that happened online there was a lot of stuff like oh it was a clean kill or oh he was a gang member or he was uh you know he was a, a hoodlum you know it's okay it was okay it was mm-hmm. like they were trying to justify it mm-hmm. in their brains by branding him as a thing you know mm-hmm. as a singular thing thing a gang member or this and i and i thought like well so what if he was like so what if he did drugs or sold drugs so what if he was a gang member like all these hypotheticals like so what if he was any of that so what if he was the worst teenager bully ever like don't you believe in redemption stories you know like how many times do you have to have you know drug offenders become drug counselors or you know all these arcs of people like we didn't allow him that you know no one allowed him that and so i thought like, that kid was me, you know? That kid was on any of us who, like, anybody who I grew up with. We were just a bunch of hoodlums that didn't know any better, you know? We were, I didn't, you know, I thought doing graffiti was cool because you got some notoriety out of it. You got known in your town. And that that was cool to me, but to, you don't come back from death, you know? Yeah. That's the thing. You know, you, there are no redemption stories if someone dies. Let's talk a little bit about um, your time here at CalArts. You were both a musician and an animator, but you went to school for music here? Yeah, kind of. My time at CalArts is weird. I felt pretty invisible when I was here. Um, And a lot of it had to do with my own hang-ups. In my small town, you know, the town is two miles wide, two miles long. I was really popular because I played in a band. And so I would go to Food for Less or mm-hmm. these the local CVS or whatever, and I would get recognized. Oh, hey, what's up, Pepper? What's going on? Good to see you, man. Oh, you guys played great last night. You guys playing next week? Yeah, we're playing in Compton, and we're playing in Riverside and East Lois and all those other places. Then when I came here, I just I was completely unknown. And I was known by cat people, but it felt like everybody knew each other. You know, you had a lot of people coming in from the similar high schools. They all applied together. And they seemed to just click up really quickly. That was my first two years. The teachers were great. I thought the teachers were always great. And I think uh, there's some there's some highlights, you know, some of the music teachers, Mark Lowenstein in particular, uh, Vinny Golia, and people who I thought really made me accept who I was. They're like, you know, you got this thing going. You should really examine and dig what you have and try to bring it to the forefront, you know. Kind of got a little better after I took... Michael Stock's uh, History of Comic Book class. I think I took that my last year here. And it was basically a survey of um, of history and comics. It started with, like, Little Lulu and Little Nemo comics all the way up to, to modern day. And we went through the classics, of course, and Alan Moore and, um, you know, Neil Gaiman and uh, Love and Rockets. And that's when I... Mm-hmm. Love and Rockets was the first time. I'm like, oh, brown people can do cool stories that everyone <laughs> likes. And just have names like Locas and things like that, things that I know, these icons from my past. And that's when I'm like, oh, there's something here. And I've always loved comics. I was always, we were always so poor that we couldn't afford them, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I started making a little bit of bread, I was able to buy my own and really kind of satisfy that thirst. And there's a store here called Brave New World right on Lions. And uh, that was when I started buying my first comics and really being part, started, starting to get into that um, community. How did you get the book deal with One Piece Book? Did you reach out to them? Did they reach out to you? How did this book happen? 
they were uh, came to my door, begged. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, no, I, there's a, a great resource. Re- the internet, you've heard of it. You know, <laughs> there's great resources, and there's this list of com- compiled every year of all the publishing houses that take work straight from artists. And uh, I sent my book to everyone. It was completed. I didn't want to send a manuscript. I sent it out to all the big ones, Fanographics, big ones in my mind. Fanographics, DNQ, and Dark Horse, and uh, Image even. And then I sent it to more um, stuff that's like not as well-known, stuff that I had never heard of. And One Piece Books was in that category. They responded really quickly, almost like a week or two after I sent it. They're like, we're interested, we want to publish it. And I was, I was like, I want to hold off a little bit. I thought it, but I was like, I don't know who they are. I'm new to all of this. I just, I had this thought in my mind that I'm like, oh, it's going to be the next Fanographics great, you know. And I had an injury myself. I had a surgery. It was a pause on everything. I broke my arm very severely. More specifically, my wrist and my elbow. Your drawing hand? My left arm really put a damper on everything and it gave me a lot of perspective and you know injuries can do that i'm not more i'm not a one to believe that all oh, things happen for a reason i'm more things happen give them a reason justify what happened by doing something and then i thought you know what i'm gonna contact robert who is the guy i was in correspondence with and i said is it too late and he says no we're still interested and let's move forward with it and then we they've been lovely to work with they didn't want to change anything about the book then there it is Thanks to Pepper Rivera, his debut graphic novel is called The Hat Boys, published by One Piece Books. To learn more about him and his work, visit PepperRivera.com. And for additional stories about the CalArts community, check out 24700.calarts.edu. Make sure to subscribe to the CalArts 24700 podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. I'm Christine Ziemba. See you next time.